Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Micton. Uh, lovely to have everybody uh, listening to us again. Dan is traveling and will be with us the next time round. I just want to thank for quite a few people have reached out and said they have some ideas or they're doing something innovative. And we always appreciate when people suggest uh other people to interview or to talk to or educators just want to emphasize that we're really our lens is international school. So that's really helpful if you can think of when you're suggesting maybe a topic or a guest that you know that's the lens that we like to look through. And the best place to connect with us is on the International School Podcast uh, LinkedIn page. And thank you for all those people that follow us and also all the comments we're getting. We really appreciate the feedback and the support. So today, uh, one of the things that I've always uh, found interesting in a school structure is you usually have a director or a head of school uh, or head teacher, depending on what uh, curriculum or type of school. And then you usually have principals and assistant principals. And those are considered the leadership team. And they're the ones that really kind of steer and facilitate and mentor and uh, guide the school through the strategic plan and the mission, the values, and the learning principles. Then there's a whole other cohort, and they're called middle-level leaders, and, and sometimes they're called heads of departments. There are a variety of different names, but middle leaders is a really good description because they're kind of in the middle. They're in between the leadership team, and they're above and I hate to use this word above, but they, their role requires them to represent their teams. It might be department teams. It might be grade teams. It might be subject coordinator teams. And the thing about them is that they often teach full time and then have this leadership responsibility. And then they often can be a conduit or support the leadership team and the faculty with initiatives, whatever it might be, change, curriculum, it could be a variety of different things. And I always find that group a really interesting group because it's quite demanding and sometimes it's quite gray where they really have power and say, and different schools have many different approaches on how this is managed. But one thing we know, and I'm very excited to have our two guests, is that professional development is the key to any professional growth. And it needs to be authentic, purposeful. It needs to be timely. It needs to connect to the practice. And that's a very tall order when you're really busy and so many things are on your plate. But today I have Helen, who's head of international consultancy for ECIS. And uh, one of the lead facilitators, Nancy, who is also with ECIS, and I've had the pleasure of working for Nancy. I think everybody knows Nancy and Helen, too, because you guys are on social media. You are going to schools and schools get excited about when you're there and there's some great pictures on LinkedIn. So I really feel privileged to have them both. And as I warned them, I'm going to kind of really be provocative about this middle level leaders. And they said, bring it on. So here we go excited. And first of all, Helen, a warm welcome. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much, John. It's a real pleasure and privilege. And it's always great to, to join Nancy for a conversation as well. Um, she she kind of pre-warned me early. She said, John might kind of provoke us with a, a couple of really good questions. But I think the thing we always tell middle leaders is it's okay not to know the answers. So I think we're feeling probably pretty comfortable today. 
Great. Thank you, Helen. And Nancy, warm welcome. Thank you, John. It's as Helen just said, it's such a privilege to be here to have this conversation with you and also to be with my colleague, Helen, who I adore so much. We uh, we work very well together. So this is actually fun for us to do this together and just to share what we love about working with middle leaders. Fantastic. So, Helen, maybe I'm going to start with you, if you don't mind. Tell us the history of middle level leaders. When you go to many schools, you go to Asia, you go to Africa, to Europe, you're pretty much everywhere. You both are globetrotters and you work with whole faculties and sometimes leadership teams and middle level leaders who can be quite a few in a big school. It could be 20, 30 people. Smaller school might be six or seven. Tell us a bit about what are these different titles and is it always the same role? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's such an interesting question, because I think in lots of schools, um, people are often promoted to that mid-level leadership because they're a great teacher and they've been doing a great job for a long time or a short time in the classroom with students. And they get a promotion that I think Nancy and I would both say um, they often haven't had any training or real preparation for and they come to the role and they're full of enthusiasm optimism commitment they, they want to do a great job but they're often wrestling with a really big teaching commitment because that doesn't disappear when you're a mid-level leader but also trying to kind of wrestle with things like the curriculum assessment teaching and learning and you think that's going to be the hardest bit of the job, but then you've got to bring in the idea of working with people and building a team. And that becomes even more tricky. And it's helping them to navigate their way through all of that. And I think whether you're new or whether you're experienced, um, you know, when you're trying to navigate that many things, it can just be really tricky. And giving them some some, some space maybe to think together, to learn from each other is one of the things that I think Nancy and I try really hard to do. Yeah, and I think I love your description how there's it's so multifaceted. And the other thing yeah. is that often, as you said, the promotion is because of their good practice, their professionalism in the classroom, but it's really not because they're actually leaders. or And so there's that kind of dichotomy. Nancy, do you think sometimes when somebody, uh, we're going to take the scenario that Helen was sharing, that somebody gets promoted and then they're kind of the middle level leader role, what is the dynamic that usually you see happen with their team? Because suddenly they're almost plucked out of the herd, and I'm being very kind of <laughs> here. But basically, they're suddenly promoted, and they have a role. And of course, they're going to get a little more attention from the leadership team, and they might have different responsibilities. But what is the dynamic? What are you observing when these things happen? What is maybe a good case scenario, and maybe yeah. one that was more challenging? I think mm. both perspectives would be great. It's almost easier when a middle leader gets hired from outside the school and then goes into that team as a new entity because she doesn't already have relationships or he with the team. So they're going in fresh, fresh and they don't already have those type of connections. 
it's so difficult when you are a teacher in the building, you get promoted within the same organization, and suddenly someone who you might be at their house every night for a Friday night pizza, you now have to maybe observe them, supervise them, make them accountable for curriculum development, and that is where their teach they they were hired because of their expertise in their teaching, but as you said, John, they haven't had the training for the leadership. And those relationships, it's all about how do you then get this cohort who suddenly has you in a different, you're in a different role. So one of the first thing we tell middle leaders is start with understanding your job profile, making sure your team knows your job profile. But even three steps before that, does the school have a culture to support this middle leader? Um, you know, a few weeks, it was last year, actually, I did a survey. I had 36 people on my uh, building and leading teams course for ECIS. And I said, out of 36 of you, how many of you received training prior to starting your position in August? 27, no training. Wow. They did, they did their interview in March, then school they got hired by April, school ended, and in August, they were expected to know how to create agenda, how to promote psychological safety, how do you do inclusion activities to activate voice, and that's where they're so challenged because they said, I know how to teach, I'd be at geography or third grade, but my team, they're not listening to me, and I want them to like me. So it is, <laughs> you know, who doesn't go into a job saying, I'm going into this position because I want to be hated, yes. So that is a challenge when you are hired internally, you're working with colleagues that were originally, you were your peers, and suddenly you're no longer. And that training is essential. They need to know how to build that psychological safety. And it's amazing to think the percentage that you just shared is over three quarters had no training. And I I do like your observation that if you come from the outside, people don't know you, you're not a known entity. And maybe then you develop your relationships with your team based on that hierarchy or that role. While you're right, I love the anecdote of, you know, eating pizza with your friend and suddenly you're supervising them. That that requires Mm -hmm. a lot of emotional uh, and cognitive capacity to kind of transition to that. Helen, when a a principal or director decides to promote a teacher to be a middle-level leader, what is it in their teaching that very likely highlights their capacity for leadership? Because they're leading kids. They're facilitating, mentoring, curating, learning amongst children. But what are some dispositions that you see as a pattern that middle-level leaders are being picked because of that? Yeah, I think that's, again, that's a really interesting question because when you look at kind of that level of promotion, it's often that they might have a really good understanding of pedagogy and practice. They might have a really good understanding of assessment and how you can use assessment to support learning. But I don't think that always we're we're looking at kind of those dispositions in terms of you know what kind of person or characteristics that will help them to be a really effective middle leader because you know enthusiasm gets you so far but actually you know there's a a knowledge set and a, a skill set that need to sit alongside 
those things and you know one of the things that I often think about is when you're working with particularly new middle leaders helping them to do things like make good decisions manage their time be organized communicate well they're the things that are really going to support them as they begin to start out and I think you know maybe 20 years ago you could get away with being a a less organized middle leader um, because everything wasn't on a system somewhere yeah 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 that's a good point it was often hidden in a cupboard wasn't it or up there (laughs) somewhere Um, whereas now everything is visible so if you're not organized it's really obvious and I think if you're not communicating well with your team then you end up with lots of confusion um, you know lots of anxiety perhaps from the team because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing if you're not managing time well then you get a sense of people feeling overwhelmed and I think when you're a middle leader it's not just the impact on you it's the impact on the rest of your team and how you begin to deliver through your team so I think when school leaders are thinking about appointing a, a middle leader for me kind of looking at things like time management organization communication become really important because you know you could be a great teacher but if you're not very organized, you're going to struggle and your team is going to struggle. I don't know whether nobody would agree with that. Yeah, Yeah. I know. I, I, I really think it's interesting that you talk about really dispositions and skills that maybe you cannot, they don't need to be at amplified level when you're in a classroom with kids because you have your safety net, you have your routines and kids develop that culture. They don't know anything else. So Nancy, when you confront your 36 people in your course, or you guys go, I know you're uh, traveling to Switzerland uh, to do some workshops. Helen was at Western Academy of Beijing. And uh, what do you notice as, you know, Helen highlighted some of the skills, the idea of organization, time management, communication. What do you notice so often, most often is where the gaps are? And that's not because it's a deficit, but maybe they don't have the professional learning to support them with the strategies. What are you noticing? Mm. I would say the, the area they most middle leaders need to focus on is how do you start elevating the expertise on your team? Because sometimes when a middle leader gets hired, they think I was hired because I'm so good at my job. Like I, and that is true. But you also have to realize there's that collective wisdom on that team. So your job is to use any protocols or strategies to elevate that expertise in order to impact the student learning of that cohort you're working with. And those are protocols. Those are strategies. Those are approaches to let your team know, yes, you might be leading the fourth grade team, but you also have maybe 50 years of teaching experience between the three other members. So what are you doing to really start promoting who they are and the impact they have? Because it's not about you. You know, it, yes, you are the middle leader, but your best, best, as your job is to really elevate your team 
and watch what happens when they have that collective wisdom in a room. And that, what I would say, is an area that most middle leaders, they don't feel that initially. They feel, I was hired because I'm so good at my job. You are, but someone who is as good as your job, how do you then bring out the best of your team? And, and that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's intentionality. Yeah, that's the intentionality, but also the communication skills that Helen was referring to, and even maybe the time management and the organization, because you need to be able to communicate to them that, uh, you know, empowering them and vice versa. And it's also a, a certain level of humbleness that's required, you know, Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's really important. So based on that, Helen, when you are, both of you are working with, and I'm going to ask Helen to kick off with this. It, are working with teachers are, you know, some people say some things can be learned and some things are born, you know? So do you feel that there are certain things that middle school leaders and leaders have innately without being taught? Could you yeah. highlight things maybe some, some facets or do we, is leadership something that you have, you don't, you're not born into it. And I had a guest who said you're not born into it, you have to learn it. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering if you agree with that or do you think there are some things that people come naturally with? So I think I think there are things that people do kind of come naturally with, but they only become strengths, don't they, when you begin to invest in the, those things. Oh, so nice. for me, kind of, you, you could be a reasonably good people person, but when you really invest in that and when you have training in it and when you're very intentional and deliberate about developing that, that's when I think it, it goes from being okay to maybe being great. And I look at kind of lots of the, the leaders that, you know, I've worked with and, and Nancy has worked with. And when you see them kind of take an area of their leadership and really put some genuine investment into it I, i'm a huge believer and i don't think there's anything that you can't improve you know um, yes. i didn't I, I didn't kind of grow up being able to drive a car um but i can drive <laughs> a car now because I, I had a good teacher i had some lessons i've scraped it up the, the wall a few times and made some mistakes and you know you draw from that but i I think one of the key things that certainly kind of I think about really great middle leaders is that um, they don't see themselves as kind of a know-it-all. They see themselves as a learn-it-all. And actually what they have is what I would call that mindset of being the lead learner mm -hmm. in their team. And that doesn't mean they always have to be at the front. Exactly. I think what those leaders do is they might start at the front if you think about you know the idea of an arrowhead but mm -hmm. they make that vision so clear for the rest of their team that they're really confident to to drop back and let everybody run mm -hmm. ahead doing exactly what Nancy said which is harnessing that strength within their team absolutely 
Yeah, and and it's interesting how you know I think it's important because both of you do so much professional development. Is just the importance, even if you're an expert, and as you said, Helen, you can always improve. Everybody can improve, mm -hmm. but you know if you maybe have a disposition that you're you know kind of good at, but then getting that with professional development and reflection and working with other people is only going to amplify that. And I think mm -hmm. that's what I'm really hearing clearly is that that process that you facilitate is kind of an amplification of the potential yes. and then really bringing it to fruition. Yeah. One thing that often you hear from middle leaders, you know, if you go into the staff room and there's a group of middle leaders around coffee or whatever, they often feel powerless. So there is often, and I'm not saying all of them, but some of the narrative is that, well, we're just kind of, and I, I don't know, I might get shot for this. We're you, kind you of might. in the middle. <laughs> you're, you know, you're a little caught in the middle. middle. Yes. We're caught in the middle. We actually don't make the final decision because the principal and the senior leadership or leadership too. And we're not with the teacher. So we, we maybe don't have some of that collateral and we're kind of caught in the center. And I know that some leadership teams add supervision. They add some responsibilities that are much more high stakes. Do you feel, Nancy, that middle school leader, leaders that have the supervision component mm -hmm. in it and maybe some other what I would say more monitoring tend to feel more empowered than middle leaders that have none of that. And they're just basically, uh, you know, if a curriculum decision is made, they're maybe breaking it up into smaller pieces and looking at the integration opportunities with the units in the curriculum. I actually think you take a step back, not looking at the duties, but actually going back to what I mentioned before about the culture. What has the culture, what is established within that school to allow those middle leaders to succeed in terms of does it have a distributed leadership model? How does it then showcase and elevate the middle leaders? Is their roles clearly communicated, documented, and monitored to ensure this consistency? So even if you're doing supervision, evaluation, or even processing book orders, your influence is also is made by that school and what they've done to the culture of leadership. And right now, that's where you have the disparity. When you have leaders who've been put in a position, but yet the school or the principal is not supporting that role. Have they been have they been provided training? I know there are some middle leaders that don't even that do not, and I'm I might get killed for this one. So make make sure no one knows where <laughs> I live. Bloodbath this podcast. I live in Ecuador. Okay, no, but um, they don't have any time off. You know, and that is really challenging. How are you validating the additional responsibilities this middle leader has? And they do not have any time off. So there, there, there's an additional anxiety trying to navigate the classroom, doing these additional responsibilities. It, it actually, are you investing in this position? And that is a signal to the staff as well. Well, they're not getting any time off. Why would I even take this job then, knowing that the school is not allowing time for me to fulfill these um, these roles and res responsibilities. I, I read this, um, what is it called? The crab effect. Do you ever hear of a crab effect or something about when you put, yeah. So when you put supposedly this, I don't know. I heard this. I read this someplace. So I could be making this up. So no one quote me on it. So it's the idea you have a, when fishermen go um, uh, crabbing, I guess that's the correct verbiage. They put all the crabs in a basket, but they don't put a cover on top. 
The reason why is when a crab tries to crawl out, the rest of the crabs bring them back down. So in, if you have a culture where leadership is not valued, where why would you even go into this position? The other teachers are just going to bring that teacher back down and say, don't go into it. You're not going to have an extra pay. You're not having any extra time. It's not worth it. And that's the crabbing effect. I don't know if that made any sense. So you might want to cut it that out. It makes a lot of sense. And I want to find out more about crabs because it's that's kind true. of like interesting. Like, kind of I'm it was like someone like Daniel Duke or somebody. It was called the crabbing effect of how it's the culture of the school wasn't supporting. So they just bring, don't, don't put your head out, you know. And I can understand that if you have an institution that's not providing the environment to succeed in that leadership position. Yeah, and, and I think that's the crab example is great because I think, you know, it's so important, this idea of culture. And I love the way you say that it doesn't matter what the responsibilities are, but mm -hmm. if you don't have that culture of leadership where they're going to be supported by the principal and there's a culture of that, so that's yeah. also mentored even amongst faculty and then the board and the parents, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So I think that's really interesting that you highlighted this idea of culture. And, and I think that's an interesting emphasis more mm -hmm. than the actual role. Helen, then do you go and have to train senior leaders to understand about middle leadership? So I think what works really well in, in some of the work that Nancy and I do is when we work with the whole school, because ah. then we start to kind of develop leadership at every level from the classroom through middle leaders kind of into associate staff to senior leaders and that's happening I think more and more in our work where we're not just delivering a training we're working with a school over a period of time but I think for me kind of when we come back to the middle level of leadership Often we think about quite vertical leadership. So you've got a head of geography who's working with a group of geography teachers and, you know, they're doing a great job. They're trying to change some things, bring out the best in everyone. I think when you see schools really begin to shift, then what you begin to see is two things. One is what I would describe as horizontal leadership. So, we talk about a senior leadership team in a school, but we don't very often talk about a middle leadership team. So I think when we can get middle leaders working with each other horizontally, that's really powerful. And I think the other thing that I think is really powerful is when we begin to close that gap between senior and middle leaders where they're all driving together and I think that's complex I don't think it's easy but I think when you get those shifts that's when you see the power of middle leadership in in helping the whole school to move absolutely I love it that you uh highlighted that one of your strategies is to work with the whole school I mean you're coming you know the head might call you up and say or write to ECI say okay we want middle lead leadership and then you're saying let's get the staff and the senior leaders together that's really interesting because it's kind of a common understanding of what that role is even though you might not be in it but you're going to be interacting with it either as a recipient or a, a collaborator as a, a fellow teacher or as a senior leader 
-hmm. I think also something else that you highlighted, I love the idea of the vertical and horizontal, is I think sometimes the language we use, or if we emphasize, oh, senior leadership has to deal with this, you know, kind of passing the buck. Uh, yeah. I think that's yeah. really interesting how you highlighted the importance of having that uh, horizontal interaction as well as the vertical. And then that gap, bringing that gap closer together mm -hmm. where maybe, you know, the senior leadership or the leadership team, the middle leaders are doing more together. It's more frequent, maybe through committees yeah. or small tasks for us. So thank you for really sharing that. Mm -hmm. Nancy, when you are training, is there like a magic amount of time? Would you say there's a model, you know, you can come in and do one hour and then disappear. Do you feel it's like irritative? You come three or four times, maybe mm -hmm. some synchronous, asynchronous. What are you noticing what schools are doing that are being successful in the structure and how often they might be working with Helen and you and ECIS? One of the most positive experiences when you get that relationship with the school. So we, one thing we strive not to do is just drop in, drop out. If somebody wants me in for the day, even if it's in the Bahamas and I want to go to the Bahamas, I won't go because it's not going to make an impact on their practice. So we look at, yes, we'll come for two or three days. And then we build in the idea of that virtual facilitation as well to keep that relationship. But the idea that the relationship with the school is the most important, that they trust us as facilitators, we get their objectives, where do they want to move the school forward? So we, like I have a school in Vietnam, I've been with them over two years now. It's a thrill. So when I go back again, you know, face to face, it's like, I know where they are in their journey. I keep in touch with the deputy director. And that to me makes the power of it. Helen does the same thing with the school she works with. It's that relationship. Anybody, as I mentioned, wants that one day thinking, oh, this three hour session. Oh, Nancy, you just muted yourself. I just muted myself. I got too excited. Hey, 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 about uh, go, back, go back to the three hour session. You were kind okay. of explaining the one day wonder. Yeah, if one day one just don't work. So, if, so the idea is if a, if a senior leadership member thinks that three hours will make a difference in their middle leadership, that's where we provide that advice and just, just giving them a journey of what would be the most impactful professional development. I always think of the word of sustainability and rhythm when it comes to those discussions. We're doing that with schools in Barcelona right now, in Switzerland. I mean, it's, and you can see the difference in, just the mindset and the confidence that these middle leaders get, knowing they actually have somebody where we might say, in addition to the larger groups, we'll also meet one-on-one -on -one for coaching sessions. So if there is an issue that a middle leader wants to talk with us, maybe more privately, we will then schedule a, a series of 15, 20 minute one-to-one. -one, and that right. has been very impactful. So between going on site, virtual follow-ups and coaching, that seems a model that's been very successful. And I think also what they appreciate about Helen and I, not because we're just so good looking. I mean, that's another, <laughs> it's, I, because we, these were our roles. It's not like we're a, we're a consultant that's never done this. This is something that this is part of our experience as international educators. So when I say that I worked at International School of Luxembourg, I was responsible for middle leadership for almost 10 years. You know, they're like, oh, you've done this before. It's not just like you're trying to get a consultancy job. They know this is something that you have experience with. And same with Helen, both of us together, there's an integrity to it.
that they know yeah. they talk about those challenges, we understand their perspective. And you walk the talk because you actually have mm -hmm. done it yourselves, both exactly. of you. And I, and, I, and I like the way you uh, shared that you guys have kind of the face-to-face then there's the virtual. And then what's even better, I think, is this idea of coaching, giving an opportunity mm -hmm. for people to peel off and maybe say, listen, I'm really struggling and having that trust and also having that expertise. Mm -hmm. So that's a really nice model. Helen, middle school leadership certificates, and I'm there are a lot of them out there. Every time I open LinkedIn, there's another organization. That's They're only ours, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry to say I burst your bubble, but I, of course, I only like yours. Uh, but the, the, the thing is, I'm curious, why are organizations targeting that? I feel like in the last five, six years, there's been much more focus on middle school leadership before it was very much leadership board training. Those things are still happening, but suddenly there's much more traffic and different organizations are, have certificates or they, whatever it might be. What do you think has happened in schools and leadership in general that suddenly there is this growth and quite a few organizations are competing. And I, I assume it's a bit of a, a, a competitive market. Yeah, I, th I think it is a competitive market. And I think they're looking at it because, you know, it, most of your kind of budget as a school leader goes on salaries. So you need to make sure that where you're investing the money in those salaries, it's having some impact. And I think when you look at senior leaders, they've got that really big picture view of the whole school. And the role of middle leaders is to make sure that that vision lands in the classroom with teachers. And I think when you kind of think about um, developing middle leaders in your school, the, the one thing that you guaranteed, I think, as a school leader is if you invest in the quality of teaching and you invest in the quality of leadership, your school is going to get better. Um, and the extent to which that happens is, is variable. But I think they're investing in the certificates because, you know, anybody can come in, like Nancy said, and, and drop in with, you know, the pretend magic wand and do an hour. But actually, when you do a middle leadership certificate, there's a sustained piece of learning. And I think that sustained piece of learning, not, not just in the sessions, but being able to then take that back into school, try some of it out come back and do some more mm -hmm. learning and you know we talk about don't we spirals of learning all of the time but we're kind of working middle leaders up to that mastery level of middle leadership and I think one of the things certainly kind of with the MLC that we deliver that we definitely have seen over the last couple of years is the networks that are beginning mm -hmm. to evolve because people do at least four sessions to get the middle leader, um, leader certificate with us. Lots of them do all nine sessions yeah. with us because they enjoy the learning, but they also enjoy the network yeah. that, that they build globally. And I think for me, they're solving some of their own challenges. Um, all we've done is, is create that environment where the relationships evolve and you know we share that message you can't lead alone it's not healthy 
to lead yeah. people. And the more you build your network, the more effective your leadership becomes. And I think schools are investing in it because they can see the power and, and the impact of that. And it's interesting how you talk about this idea of, uh, you know, when people have a course over a longer period of time and maybe have a certificate, there's a certain rigor that comes into that. Mm -hmm. And with that rigor, there comes a commitment. But then at the same time, you have these other cohort, you know, uh, participants. And there you build that network because you keep coming back over months and activities and work. So I think that combination becomes very powerful as you're describing it. And kind of it sounds like what you're saying is that the the domino effect, you just get better schools because you have that clarity and that skill set developing amongst the school community. So, yeah, that's just so interesting. And, and I think it's interesting also the certificate. I think that's a nice, you know, people, especially if you're on the circuit, it's always helpful to have some yes. official something saying that, yes, you did, went through this rigor, you did do well, and you'd have these skills as a point of reference, even though the most important part is what you end up within yourself. Learning, and how you yes. Teach. Yeah, the learning. But I think the, there's value to that. When you, uh, Nancy, when you are working with uh, schools, would you say that ECIS has, you know, every facilitator or every organization, they have their special sauce? Now, I'm not asking you to give away state secrets, <laughs> uh, but do you think there's an approach that maybe resonates? And you obviously have seen other people training middle leaders. Very mm -hmm. likely you have participants that come to you and say, well, I did this course. That wasn't that great. Oh, I'm much happier here or vice versa. But I'm just wondering, is there kind of an intentionality, the way you structure your workshops and are Helen and you working together? Or do you have, you know, two brands, but with an overarching philosophy? I think when I when I look at how we present, Helen and I, and we're both quite different. We're the yin and yang because Helen is like, she just knows any book. Name a book, and Helen would be like, "Well, I can quote page forty-five," and I'm like, "How do you do that?" You know. And I'm the other side, like everybody, go to Four Corners. I don't care what you're doing. But I I think what's pivotal to all our training is the idea of number one, getting that energy in the room making that love for learning. And it's not as if we are talking for 25 minutes. The idea as we give a conceptual understanding and then we ask them to unpack due to a protocol. So we're always having them think about their processing and the application to their role. And that's universal. I think with all the ECIS courses that we do for MLC, it's always that idea of giving those provocations and then having, how does it resonate with them? Number two is the idea of what I mentioned earlier, elevating all the connections in that room and allowing them to learn from each other. The one activity I love to do, and it's not mine, it's from Chad Littlefield, is you start off a course by saying, you know, everyone who's standing up who's done one to 10 years in education, 10 to 15. Then you count it up and you say, there's 400 years of expertise and experience in this room. I only have 37. It's more important that you talk to one another than for me talking to you for the next how many hours that I'm with you. Starting off with that approach with your attendees already lets them know that we're here together to learn from one another. I'm not here to give you a lecture about middle leadership and 
whatever, you know, teaming. It's about you also sharing the expertise and the successes and the challenges you've had in with a, whatever area that we're focusing on. And I think, lastly, we're personable. Like when people go in, I mean, we, <laughs> am I allowed to say that? You're allowed to say whatever you want. This is an open, caring podcast. <laughs> like we're always following up. It's not like once you leave a school, you don't see them. How are things going? Do you need any future assistance? Let us know. We'll have a virtual. And because it's built into the system that once we meet with the school, we follow up with the virtual or coaching, it shows that we're committed. It's not just another school to work with. We want to have that relationship and we want to ensure that whatever we've done in our practice has made an impact on student learning or teacher practice. And I love that idea that you bring up is this uh, relationship building between yourselves Absolutely. and you build relationships. And also when you stand up, you almost, as you uh, shared in your anecdote, you're flipping everything. You're saying, I'm not going to talk. Uh, you guys have more information and more knowledge than I. I'm just going to provoke you along through a reflective process and highlight, you know, some books, some articles and some activities. One thing, Helen, I would like to ask you is that there are a lot of middle level uh, team. So when Nancy and you do the facilitation, you're doing protocols, you're doing activities, routines. Are you trying to model what you hope these middle level leaders will be doing themselves? And how important is it for middle level leaders to have some protocols, routines and structures? Or is it just fine sitting in a circle and kind of just, you know, bantering away? How important is having some structure even when it feels informal? That, I mean, that that's a great question. I think we're always trying to model because ultimately, you know, PDs like um, marking an assessment, isn't it? It's, it's useless unless you do something with it. <laughs> um, and you could spend hours doing pointless PD or you can actually kind of do some PD where we provoke, we kind of hold some space for people to reflect, we share some literature or some research but but coming back to what nancy said it's it's about what like what does this mean for you and i think when we kind of do training i think there's room to have protocols because protocols give some discipline and structure to the the training um otherwise you'd just be going off in in too many different directions and actually we've got a, a fixed amount of time but I also think there is time for some free talk and, you know, that happens in breakout rooms. Um, sometimes that happens in a, a session. I think it happens over break times, lunch times, beyond on, on social media. So it's about getting that balance right between the structured thinking mm -hmm. and the structured talk with an element of discipline to it, but then kind of, letting people take that where they need to take it. And, you know, one of the things we often say is that the best training happens, um, no disrespect to ourselves, when we stop talking. <laughs> yes. um, but, but it's true, isn't it? Um, yeah. And I think also if you don't have, you know, we've both experienced this, the, you know, when you, when you do coaching, um, you contract, don't you? When you do training, you set out your protocols, and you work with protocols through the session. If I think about all of the training sessions that I've delivered where it hasn't worked, 
or it's gone wrong. It's where we haven't had the protocols and then somebody just hijacks a conversation on sharing the air and there's not that equal voice. So I think for me, they're really important, but it's also important to create those other spaces as well. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I think it's so interesting how you say it's this nuanced balance between having the protocols, but also having those moments, as you said, free spaces and, you know, juggling that. And then also highlighting that it's not, you know, the less you talk, actually, the better the workshop goes, because then you have the input of different people. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes that's what's often challenging for middle school leaders when they have their team. They don't want to be too prescriptive. But if they just don't have anything, then, as you say, often things get hijacked. And I think as a middle level leader, especially if it's a colleague that might be domineering or it's, you know, a, a gender issue, whatever it might be, sometimes it's much harder to shut them down than if you're a, a facilitator yeah. from ECIS and flying in and you can, you know, you're not, you don't, you've got plenty of friends. You don't need to make new friends, you know, and, uh, you know I think that's so interesting how you say that. I'm just mindful that one of the things that you both have saying is that you've really talked about relationships, you talked about some structure, you talked about kind of a, a multiple approaches, you know, virtual, asynchronous, synchronous. What do you do yourselves for your own professional development? Because as you're, you're espousing, you know, you always have to learn, you always have to improve. What are some metrics that you use uh, in your own practice? And I'll ask Nancy, and I'd like to also, Helen, if you both could answer that question. Nancy. I would say I read. I read I, Right now, I'm just thinking what's next to me. I know this is audio, but it's like, you know, another book of beautiful questions. No, we're on okay, okay, nice. Light. Yeah. That's what I'm reading so for when it comes to the content, of course, the reading, but I love, I love the idea of learning about facilitation. So I attend quite a bit of, there's the International Association of Facilitators, IAF, and I, they do free workshops. And it's, what's great is it's about facilitation that also for non-educators. And I learned right. so much about facilitation and elevating that voice. And, in, you know, I love the word of humanity. You keep the humanity within a conversation. And that is my biggest training because I read every day. I'm on social media. I, I try to get as many articles every morning. That's kind of like my routine. But the facilitation is essential. Knowing that how do you navigate those situations that suddenly might go rogue and having that little, I know we use this term all the time, toolkit, but I need to keep on adding to my toolkit because going to different schools or going to the same school multiple times, I can't keep on putting people in four corners. You know, they have to follow. You're like, like, not another four corners with Nancy. <laughs> I'm done with the four corners. I'm done with the four corners. So my passion is learning about facilitation and just, and I'm still learning and I love to watch facilitators. So when I go to a conference, I'm not really listening to the content, but I just want to see how this person works the room. Yeah. That I yeah. love to do. So that's my that's approach great. to comment, right? Thank you, Nancy. Helen. Yeah, so so I get to work with Nancy. So I think that's a big chunk of my professional development um, and the rest of the, the ECIS team. But I think similarly to Nancy, um, you can see behind me, um, my books are double stacked and there are another three bookcases that look like that in the house. Um, and that's not the fiction books. 
So <laughs> by trade, um, I'm a high school English teacher. Um, and, you know, I think the, the thing that I thank my parents probably most for is a, a love of reading. But I think being able to go and watch other facilitators, mm -hmm. quite often we'll find ourselves at a conference um, and I think we're both very proactive at conferences about going to other sessions and being willing to learn. Um, I watch lots of podcasts and, and webinars where, again, you, you're looking at kind of developing facilitation skills. I think the other kind of bit that I do is a lot of investment in coaching. So um, mm. practice as a senior practitioner coach, but part of that is, engaging with regular supervision one-to-one um, -one and regular group supervision and one of the key things I think with coaching is it's not really that dissimilar in some respects to facilitation because it's about building that listening capacity and learning to you know ask good questions and then thinking about how you draw out the learning um, for for others and and for yourself in that yeah. process, so yeah. I would love to do more um, of my own PD because I don't think um, I probably do as much of it as I would love to do. But I think it's so valuable. And actually, if you're not engaging with that as a facilitator, I think you can become quite stagnant and stuck. I agree. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And I think uh, I love the way you both say. So I'm warning if anybody's a workshop facilitator, Nancy and Eleanor in the conference, you better Which have I don't know. do four corners. Don't do four corners. Don't, don't do four corners. People are sick of them. <laughs> and on the writing, we're just kind of writing down ideas that we can, can yeah, use exactly. in our own training. Yeah. Absolutely. That's great. No, and, and, and I, I agree, you know, facilitating a lot of workshops myself, nothing's better to go into a room and see somebody just shining. You're like, wow, that's something yeah. I should really think about. And that's quite exciting to do. I'm mindful of time. And one thing we would like you to maybe do as you wrap up is if I'm a teacher thinking about middle level leadership, what do what you know what should my resume look like or is it really just by chance and some principal likes me and then i get promoted or is you know there's might be an application process are you noticing anything about the kind of experience middle level leaders are having coming into that position from teaching and maybe nancy and helen you can both talk to that Hmm, good. What do you think, Helen? I would. One thing I've noticed personally is a lot of middle leaders were working, and maybe because I'm accreditation, they were working as the accreditation officer for their school. So they uh, wanted to learn more about how do you facilitate a large group. What they wanted to know more about policy. They wanted to know every aspect of the school because if you were doing, for example, a CIS pathway one. You learn about from facilities to teaching and learning to human resources. And I found many of the middle leaders that I worked with in my last course, they were actually taking on that role as either accreditation officer or they were volunteering in other capacities just to see what it what is it like to all of a sudden organize or work with the leadership on a strategic plan. And they would volunteer to be on that committee. So I found them more volunteering to test the waters 
of what it was like to collaborate with leadership. And then they would decide, mm, maybe this is something I would try or not try. Yeah, Interesting. I, I, Interesting. I'd kind of roll with that and, and kind of say that, you know, generally the people who are looking for the next step are really proactive about mm -hmm. their own development. Right. And they're there, whether it be kind of pestering an existing middle leader or mm -hmm. a senior leader for opportunities. And that might be, you know, mentoring um, a new teacher. It might be, can I just shadow you as you do the timetable or rooming for a subject? Mm -hmm. or can I shadow kind of as you're, you're leading a meeting? Could I lead part of a meeting? And I think they're just kind of taking kind of those, if you like, first steps um, into it and being quite, if you like, proactive about their own development and, and thinking about those gaps as well. You know, I think what, what maybe would be more useful, because I, I don't know whether Nancy would agree with this, but lots of those steps are things like writing a scheme of work leading kind of on an assessment moderation but actually the bit that they'd really benefit from would be more of the people stuff mm -hmm. because yeah. that's the bit where they really wrestle and find it hard yeah 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 and and it's always managing people is managing adults is not easy yeah, yeah. yeah. i find managing a bunch of third graders so much easier sometimes totally <laughs> give me a class of sixth graders before you know an entire staff sixth graders are nicer maybe i think they are <laughs> they are they're very nice uh what we often do as at the end is uh if you had to say something to a school head about your craft and what your organization ecis.org does for professional learning you do a phenomenal job globally uh, many schools have you, and there's everybody is always smiling. I feel like you must be paying them because all the pictures, everybody's happy when they're doing leadership training. I'm like, what's going on? Anyway, what would you want to say to a school leader that is grappling with the issue of middle school leadership? Nancy and then Helen. If you're grappling, that's love that verbiage there, grappling, grappling, grappling with middle leadership. I would go back to how I started this conversation is to first look at your own culture and how are you providing a positive one where there is psycho psychological safety, where teachers are willing to take step forward to leadership. And really, that's it. Really reflecting on your own culture and how you're supporting leadership growth and capacity. Thank you, Nancy. Helen? Well, I think, again, you know, kind of when you think about those heads who are grappling, um, my kind of my advice, I suppose, to them would be just, you know, take that first step and, you know, let someone work with you in partnership mm -hmm. to support that middle leadership development. I think mm -hmm. one of the big challenges for school leaders is their job is really hard and, you know, mm -hmm. for the last or four years um, during the pandemic but also coming out of the pandemic yeah. there are so many challenges instead of trying to do everything yourself engage with with a partner whether it be ECIS or another partner because we'll help with those first steps we help with kind of that if you like pacing of the development and I think one of the things is is to think about, you know, not just the quick fix, 
exactly. but the long-term sustainability and how, you know, if, if you improve your teaching and you improve your leadership, you're going to improve your school and, you know, start where you're at. Start where you're yeah. at. Yeah. yeah. And, and so uh, really, it's great. So culture is definitely one of the things that we need to remember. Right. As Helen says, be brave and humble and look for somebody to work with you. Uh, you can't mm -hmm. do it alone. I think those are two really. Uh, and also understand it's an irritative process. Make sure Absolutely. it's not a one. And really spreading that over. So thank you, both of you. It's just been so rich to talk about this. And uh, I hopefully a lot of middle school leaders will be knocking or following you. I just want to tell uh, our listeners, remember the show notes. Helen and Nancy have done a phenomenal job of giving resources, links, and you can follow them on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter. And of course, ecis.org. If you've never spent any time on their website, go and check that out. There's a lot of rich professional development. And they also have a, a mentoring a program mm -hmm. called PushFAR, and I'm part of it. And I know Nancy does that. So there are a lot yeah. of rich opportunities. If you're thinking about middle school leadership, spend some time on ecis.org. And I know if you reach out to Nancy or Helen, they'd Absolutely. be happy to uh, interact with you. Both of you, thank you so much. Safe travels. You guys are again off to various yeah. places in the world. Can't wait to see another group of happy teachers. <laughs> of thank course. You both. It's a real pleasure. Thank you, John. What a privilege. Thank, thank you. So thank, thank you. So you. Much.